0: Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I am here with the best co-host of the year, Alan McGirt.
1: And not just because I'm the only one.
0: (laughs) No, no, the best.
1: (laughs) Well, that puts you right on top of my holiday gift list, Alan, which I know that you know that you were there anyway, but I don't know about you, but I have been thinking long and hard about how different this holiday season was from last year, particularly for so many reasons in terms of health and the just uncertainty, but also in terms of just the great holiday ritual of shipping and receiving gifts. Last year, I was waiting for shipments of toilet paper and leaving care packages out for my drivers. But this year, I've got more traditional worries like, will your gift arrive on time? (laughs) (laughs) So all of that's a great way of saying it was just a terrific time to speak with today's guest, a, a woman who I've interviewed before and I've really uh, admired and whose company is responsible for moving a lot of your gifts around, Carol Tomei, the CEO of UPS.
0: Before coming to UPS, Carol was Chief Financial Officer of Home Depot. She's originally from Wyoming and like you, Ellen, she likes to fish. I know, she does. She does. And also hunt and cook. I got to tell you one more thing and then I'll let you go. She ranks high on Fortune's list of the 50 most powerful women in business.
1: She has for a while too, all of that while hunting and fishing and gardening. And here's another interesting fact a lot of people may not realize is that she was actually retired when she took this current job. She'd spent 24 years at Home Depot and retired in 2019 and was planning a very different life. And that's where we started our conversation. You came out of retirement to take this job. Why? Tell us what you thought (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what you thought you were going to get you were going to be able to get done, because
2: I'm happy you're back, but I'm fascinated with that decision, well, thank you so much. You know it's it is an interesting journey for sure, because I was full on retired at my farm in Northwest Georgia. Uh, stood up a family foundation with my husband, had joined a few corporate boards, and I thought this was the next chapter for my life. But I was on the UPS board. I've been on the UPS board since 2003. And when the UPS was starting to go through succession planning, when David Abney, the then current CEO, said he was planning to retire, they thought long and hard about the persona of the next CEO. And as they thought about the persona, in other words, the skills and experience that that person needed to possess, they matched the persona up against the existing leadership team and said, we've got a great team here, but nobody's quite ready. So the board decided to go outside. And I wasn't part of that decision because they had stood up a search committee. But I soon became part of that discussion because they came to me and said, hey, Carol, we'd like you to be considered. And I'm like, me? You know, really? I, am I not too old? And they're like, you, you know, you're not too old. Age is a state of mind. I'm like, all right, well, that's John good. Carol. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the,
0: can you tell us a little bit about the persona? What was the persona that UPS needed at that moment?
2: So, really understanding the changing competitive and customer environment because we're 114 years old, and the world around us is changing, and the change is rapid fire fast. And so they wanted someone who understood that end-to-end experience, which as a retailer, I did. Also someone who had a digital fluency. And Mm -hmm. at Home Depot, we were leaders in terms of the e-commerce business. And we were the first, Home Depot was the first to bring buy online, pick up in store, buy online, return in store, so on and so forth. So they were looking for that understanding, someone who had that digital um, e-commerce knowledge, someone who was a great leader of people. Someone who knew how to make a buck and drive higher returns on capital because the company had deployed about $24 billion of capital into the business and the return on capital had been declining for almost six years straight.
0: So they wanted that financial background
2: they wanted a financial background. So when they you know, they put the persona together, they did an outside search. So I wasn't the only person they talked to. They had an outside search and talked to a number of different candidates. And as they're talking to the candidates, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I'll go along with this because I'm not really sure. <laughs> but the conversation started to pick up and became more intense. And I'm like, Carol, you better decide whether or not this is really what you want to do. So <laughs> I asked myself, why would I do this? And I'm like, well, I love to develop people. I really love to develop people. Mm-hmm. And we have 500 of them. So I'm like, boy, that would really be a great opportunity to help people reach their highest potential, whatever that may be. I really do like to make money and I like to generate value. I love to do that. Now at Home Depot, when I was the CFO, we had a 450% increase in shareholder value during my tenure. And I'm like, wouldn't that be fun to do something like that at, at UPS? It's a values-based business whose core purpose really resonates with me. So I love that, you know, having my values aligned with the company's values. And then You know, I I talked to my husband and I said, you know, if I do this, you've got to go along with me. And he's retired as well. I said, you're going to have to go along with me. What do you think? And he's like would you please go back to work? You're driving me crazy.
0: <laughs> that farm was getting small.
2: Really? You know that, that old saying, I married you for life, but not for lunch. I was bugging him. Like, who are you visiting with today and what are you doing? I was driving him crazy. That's so That's
0: great. Now I'm listening to all the criteria that were laid out for what they needed in the job. One of them was not we need someone who knows how to lead in the midst of a pandemic that basically right. destroys That's all right. historical knowledge and data right. and throw things right. at her that she's never seen before.
2: No, oh, oh, my goodness. You know, I was announced in the early, or middle of March of, of 20, and I thought I was going to go on a listening tour, that I would be <laughs> traveling the world, visiting with UPSers and customers and our communities. And I had, that all got blown out of the water in the first week, the first week. <laughs> and <I'm> like, <laughs> And it was... Literally, it was very chaotic here, I have to tell you, because no one was prepared for the pandemic, but we knew that we needed to keep the world moving. We needed to keep commerce moving, Wherever the whatever level of commerce was going to happen. We needed to keep it moving, and so we needed to make sure that our UPSers were essential, and we didn't have PPE. We didn't have any masks and yeah. hand sanitizers and all the things we needed to, to have to keep our people safe, so it was a mad Dash to keep our people safe and to keep commerce moving to the extent that it could. And then of course we partnered with the U.S. government and governments around the world actually to move PPE around the world to try to get people safe. It was those was first few weeks were nothing but chaos. It was crazy. But but we started to figure it out. And in the second quarter, while many businesses were shutting down, as people were sheltering in place, our business exploded. It just exploded there was a pull forward of e-commerce demand a three year pull forward of e-commerce demand so we were at levels that we hadn't expected to be until 2023 which meant we don't have the people to handle all this volume <laughs> yeah. so we, in the right. second in the second quarter alone we had to hire 40 people. Other companies wow. are shutting down. We're hiring 40,000 people. So that was also something I wasn't quite prepared for, but we were able to do it and get people trained and get people in the hubs and our sorting facilities and our drivers and our pilots to make sure that we could move the world's commerce. Because, you know, we move a lot of commerce. We move 2% of the world's GDP every day. 6% of the US GDP every day is moved by a UPS vehicles. So we had to keep that going. So how does talent development... Continue to um, move
1: forward in a time of rapid hiring, in a time of rapid, in a time of chaos like this. How did you keep that big goal of making sure not just people were safe, but they were also growing?
2: Yeah, job number one for me, job number one. And I have to tell you, I learned a lot coming from the board into the company. You think as a board member, you know the company pretty well. You don't know it that well. You just don't. I learned a lot coming in, and one thing I learned is that our UPSers weren't that happy. We measure uh, employee happiness or employee satisfaction through a likelihood to recommend metric. So we measure lots of different things, but we roll this all up to a likelihood to recommend metric, and the likelihood to recommend was only 51% which meant 49% of our people wouldn't recommend us as a place to work. My hair was like on fire. I'm like, this is no way. This is not the place I want to work. This is not the place where you can have the best talent because people need to love what they're doing and the place where they work. So as a leadership team, we set forth a goal to move that metric to 80%. And we started some doing some things differently than we had. And this isn't so much on the talent, but more on the cultural side. You know, we had very restrictive policies. For example, men could not have facial hair. African American people could not have natural hair. And our oh, tattoo wow. policy was more restrictive than the U.S. Army. So we made some symbolic changes by letting people bring their real genuine authentic self to work. We allowed men to have facial hair and natural hair and you can have tattoos as long as they're not offensive. Big symbolic moves to say this is you know, a different UPS. We're going to hold tight to the values that were instilled in us by Jim Casey, our founder. But this is a different UPS and a UPS that's all about the people. So I declare 2021 is the year of the people. And this is where we get to the talent piece, investing in our people, changing the way we think about our learning programs to enable people to get t- to their highest potential, whatever it may be. And this is a journey, but our likelihood to recommend is now 61%. So we've Very moved at nice. 10 well percentage done. points. Well yeah. But we're not where we Very want to nice, be.
0: But- We got more to do. But let's talk about that because, you know, what gets difficult in these conversations is really when push comes to shove. You were on a very clear mission from day one to improve your operating margins. I would imagine your labor costs are your probably single biggest cost by a long shot. So how do you make people happier and improve margins at the same time?
2: Yeah, well, I think you can do both. As long as you truly understand the customers that you want to serve, serve them the best that you can, and get paid for that. So we looked at our customer segmentation in a different way than we had in the past. In the past, we treated all packages the same. A package is a package. That's just not the case. A lightweight, short-zone package is very different than a heavyweight, long-zone package. And then we looked at the nature of our customers. We have big customers, big retail customers, Then we have a lot of small and medium-sized business customers. Then we have healthcare customers and commercial customers. And as we pulled apart the customer segmentation, we said, let's lean into those customers who value our end-to-end network. We've got the best integrated network on the planet. Let's lean into those customers who value it, who will pay us for that. So we've been leaning into one segment in particular, our small and medium-sized businesses. Until I came for the previous seven years, we had lost market share in that business segment for each of the seven years. When I got here, I said, well, what's getting in the way? What's getting in the way? And I was told, well, we don't have the fastest time in transit. Our competitors are beating us with time and transit on the ground. I'm like, okay, what's getting in the way? Well, we have a plan. We just haven't funded it. I'm like, okay, we've got money. Let's fund it. (laughs) So we funded it. We completed the initiative about six months before they had thought it would be completed, pulled it forward into October of 20. And it paid huge dividends. So we started to gain share in that customer segment. We've gained share quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter. Really proud of where we were. Our SMBs now make up about 27% of our US volume. Last year, that would have been around 21%. So we've shown significant improvement. And oh, by the way, Our margins are getting better because those customers will pay for the service. But it isn't just the revenue. The quality of the revenue is important, but it's not just that. We also had a lot of projects in flight. In fact, a conference room full of projects in flight. I'm like, let's focus on the wildly important because these are all great ideas but they're all not wildly important. So we gave the leadership team red dots and green dots, and the red dots were to be put on those initiatives that you should stop, and the green dots on those that you should continue. Well, all the green dots went up. None of the red dots went up. I'm like, well, <laughs> we're not going to leave the room, right? As you would appreciate. we all I, That makes perfect sense. I'm like, we're not going to leave the room until the red dots go up. So the red dots went up. It's tough. You should have seen the number of initiatives that had no dots. So there was no one in favor or against. I'm like, those were the easiest to kill, right? The no dots. Right. The orphaned ones. Exactly. The orphaned ones. So we just started crossing things off the list. And as you cross things off the list, well, you become more productive. You don't need as many people working on things that aren't so important. So this year alone, we've taken $500 million out of our non-ops expense. Non-ops would be an overhead expense. We've taken $500 million out of that expense, and we'll take another $500 million out next year. That's a billion dollars of cost out. Not cost avoidance, but cost out. Mm-hmm. We're also looking at sweating our assets differently than we ever had in the past. We're capital intensive business for sure. But I'm like, we got to think about this capital allocation differently. For example, they, we love aircraft. We fly almost 600 aircraft every day. And some of our teams wanted to buy more aircraft for the Asia-U.S. Uh, lanes. I'm like, tell me about those lanes. Are the aircraft full? well, yes, Carol, they're full when they come from Asia, but they're empty when they go back. And I'm like, we're flying 747 freighter aircraft empty on the way back? I don't think so. Let's think about how we optimize the aircraft that we own so we can get a higher utilization and a higher return on those investments. So we've moved that needle in a big way. In fact, at the end of our third quarter, we set our return on capital. By the end of this year, Will be around 29%, up 700 basis points from where it was a year ago. So we're we're moving the needle in, in that regard, while at the same time doing good. And that's the cool thing about this company. It's not just about moving goods; it's about doing good. And I'm really proud of how our team has rallied during this time. Every day, our men and women went to work. You know, they went to the office. Know, um, right. The office being their package cars or their aircraft or their sorting facilities. They went in. We've delivered. Well, nearly a billion vaccines. By the middle of December, we will have delivered a billion vaccines in over one hundred countries and also been part of a 20 million vaccine donation program in, in parts of the con- world that are challenged in that regard. So we're really, I'm really proud of, of that. In fact, we worked really hard on our purpose last year. We knew what we did, but we hadn't declared our purpose. So we had a cross-functional team of folks work on our purpose, and they did a, a masterful job of interviewing UPSers and retirees and customers and communities. And we unveiled it a year ago. It's uh, moving our world forward by delivering what matters. And I just, I just love that. I think it really it really speaks to our why.
0: I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is the CEO of Deloitte U.S. and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Thanks for being with us and thanks for your support. Thanks,
3: Alan. Pleasure to be here.
0: So, Joe, business leadership used to be about setting strategy in the C-suite and then giving orders to everybody down the line, telling them what they need to do to implement the strategy. But today, things are moving too fast for that kind of a top-down approach. How do you be an effective leader in that kind of rapidly
3: changing Environment. You hit the nail on the head, Alan. We've actually given a lot of thought recently to adjusting our own leadership frameworks in terms of the attributes that are necessary to serve as an effective enterprise leader. In this environment, the long-standing hierarchical pyramid with orders coming down from the top simply cannot effectively deal with the pace of change. Being a great leader in this environment requires a lot of listening, empowering one's people, setting the tone for a culture of innovation and strategic risk-taking. Because at the end of the day, you can't be involved in every interaction with your customers, with your employees, with your regulators. You have to instill in your professionals a sense of values to drive the way in which they'll make those on-the-spot decisions on behalf of the organization. Thank you, Joe. Alan, it's a real pleasure.
1: I'm 20 minutes into this conversation and I'm 100% sure that the search committee picked the right CEO, 100%, oh. <laughs> 110% sure. I do want to ask you a question about that though, because I find it jarring and a little alarming that a company as big and important as UPS, when looking for their next CEO, looks to their executive bench and says, not a single person here is ready, not one. And you're a board member, you've been in corporate life for a long time, and I am 100% sure that's happening around the Fortune 500 and other big companies. What are you thinking about, or what are your peers thinking about, or making
2: sure that you're always creating a ready bench Yeah. So I I told the board when I took the job that my number one job was to get CEO succession candidates ready, that I will fail if when it's time for me to go that there aren't candidates for them to choose from. I think it is my number one job. I've got a whole bunch of things to do, but that is my number one job. And so I'm investing big time in our executive leadership team. One of the first moves I made was to bring in a chief human resource officer. We had a woman that was in charge of uh, HR for our company, but she grew up in the hub. She was not an HR professional she just wasn't. And there's a science to HR. There is, there's a yes. science to talent development and succession yes. and investing. Yes. And so we've made Charlene Thomas, who had been our CHRO, we made her our chief diversity equity and inclusion officer and made that a strategic imperative reporting to me. And she's doing a bang up job there. She's personally passionate about the issue and is doing a fantastic job. But I brought in a professional HR leader, Daryl Ford, and he's just terrific. And he collectively with the leadership team, we are putting individualized development plans for each of the leaders and I've made some changes candidly since I came on board and I'm not done I'm I, you know you're not done till you're done but this is the job number one and it doesn't just stop with the executive leaders We go I, I'm doing a number of skip level meetings so I understand the talent in many layers down the organization hmm. which people look at me like why I'm like this is fun this is super fun to develop people and get them ready for whatever is next for them. I, I I love it. And the the talent needs are are enormous, right? I think our digital fluency isn't where it should be. So rather than saying we don't have people who have digital fluency, I'm like, we're going to invest in you. We are going to invest in you. Maybe you're not cloud native, but we can actually teach you how to think in this world. So I'm all over it because I think CEOs are failing if they don't. I do too. I agree. I agree.
0: So that gets to some of the uh, big disconnects in the economy right now. Talent is one, there is a talent, I don't know if you call it shortage, but clearly there's a lot of angst over talent. The other is something you know very well, supply chains. Uh, Our supply chains seem to be broken. And all of that is feeding concern about, geez, are we headed towards some kind of 1970s style inflation? So how do you think about all those things? You have massive amounts of data at your fingertips. What can you tell us about where we are as an economy in terms of shortages and prices and the future?
2: Well, it's it's troubling. And I'm not an expert when it comes to inflation matters. Although I did sit on the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta board for s- six years, so I right. certainly got exposure yeah. to a lot of this thinking. You're an expert. <laughs> You're an expert. You're an expert. <laughs> There's a clearing point for everything, and then it tips, right? And up until now, it's cleared. As the prices have come up, they've cleared it tips at some point, and you've got yep. to wonder when that tipping point will happen. And if we don't unclog the supply chain, I think you'll get there sooner than later. And you'll you hear all sorts of forecasts as to when that might unclog. You know, The faster we can do that, the better it will be for all of us. Part of the unclog is getting COVID under control through vaccinations. So that's critically important around the world. And you've seen what's happened in parts of the world right now, right? It's popping up outside the United States and in many countries where We've had to shut down some of our operations, actually, because of of COVID. So we've got to get COVID under control. We need to free up the ports. So we're working closely with the president to try to help free up the ports. You know, when we get a package, we get it delivered. Our on-time delivery is 97%. But the jams are at the ports on both ends of the equation, if you will, and then just not enough equipment. move it. There will be more ocean craft coming online. That's going to help unclog this, which is really wonderful. And as more passenger flights become available, you can fill up the belly with cargo. That will help as well. So I'm optimistic that we'll see some movement towards the middle of next year.
0: That's a long time from now.
2: But it's important. If it goes longer than that, yeah.
0: Yeah. So you have such an interesting relationship with Amazon and It's not quite clear whether they want to work with you or compete with you. And you made some interesting comments at the beginning of this interview that suggested you had raised in priority the small and medium-sized enterprises. That sort of kind of hints at the notion that you're lowering in priority your biggest customer. But I'd love to hear you talk about how you think about that interesting relationship.
2: Yeah. I mean, the math of it is if you have an increasing penetration of one segment, you're going to have a decreasing penetration in another, right? Because it has to equal 100% at the end of the day. So we have a very excellent relationship with our largest customer, Amazon. But I think it's important to realize that Amazon is not just an e-commerce retailer. They stock inventory. They have over $20 billion of stocked good in DCs. They are building out a supply chain to deliver the stocking DCs. That makes a ton of sense for them. We'll still deliver for Amazon. We will, but we are not their supply chain. We're just a piece of their supply chain. So it's peaceful coexistence is my, in my mind. We're going to continue to grow with Amazon. We support Amazon, but we're going to tilt our business into other segments. That value our end-to-end experiences, they're building out their delivery of their stocking DCs. It's a very different experience, too. You know, they have outside service providers that deliver all those packages. Our folks, our Teamster UPS employees. And I love them because they're part of our brand. The stories that you hear about our UPS drivers and doing good in the communities. You don't hear them a lot about the other players, do you? Because our people do more than just move goods. They do good in the communities.
0: That that is really interesting, Carol. I mean, you're, you're saying that your drivers, your deliveries, who are people who work full time for you and are Teamsters, are a competitive advantage. And Amazon has gone a very different direction. They've contracted it out in part. I don't know if they've ever said this, but I assume in part to avoid Unionization.
2: I don't know. Uh, yeah,
0: it's a different strategy, yes. and you're confident yours can win.
2: We are winning. Yeah, I have
1: a I have a question about the future for you, Carol. But then I think we've got to let you go. I know that you're building out your cold chain capabilities. I know that there's a lot going on. How do you see the pandemic changing or allowing you to innovate in an interesting new way? Is something new coming for UPS down the line? There's so much innovation going on in our company.
2: Just in the healthcare world, um, we'll be a $10 billion healthcare logistics company by 2023, on our way to be a $20 billion healthcare logistics company. And cold chain logistics is, is part of that, of course, but it's also about safety and quality, because you can't, it's not a package, it's a patient. So we've invested in quality metrics and procedures, we're best in class. If I come back to the core business from an innovative perspective, oh gosh, think about the customer experience. With 60% of our deliveries going to residences, we can't think of the customer experience as the shipper. We need to think about it end to end, shipper to recipient. And the number one customer complaint I get is, where's my package? So I (laughs) I I went to the team, I'm like... How can we fix this? We were working on the downstream solution. I'm like, let's go upstream. How can we solve this? So we've just launched something we call Smart Package. With Smart Package, we are going to put an RFID tag on every single package. And we will know where that package is at all time when it's in our network. How cool is that? And when we're loading the package into our package cars, it will be scanned by a wearable device. So the men and women who are putting those packages onto the package cars today that have to scan them, They'll avoid 20 million scans a day. How cool is that? So, we're going to get much more productive through the use of technology. Yeah, and it just, and I could go on and on and on about this.
0: And, and, and you know, it just calms you down. I mean, there's, a, in my mind, you know, the, the consumer example of that is the difference between DoorDash and Uber Eats. On DoorDash, I can watch my pizza as it approaches me. I don't know why I want to do that.
2: (laughs) It calms you down. It does. We're taking photos now when we drop the package off at your doorstep. Now we copied Amazon, but that's a good experience. So why not? I'm like, copy good experiences. Um, We are also investing in autonomous vehicles. So a whole bunch of things going on in that front, not just for package cars, but for our feeder trucks. Those are the big 18-wheelers. Just announced a new test today with, Waymo, which is a Google company. So I'm excited about that. Doing
0: a lot on this. How about the drone project? Are you excited? Do you think that has promise?
2: I think it's too early days. Here's the thing about drone. I was so excited until I went to see it. They're like, well, we can't fly it today, Carol, because it's windy. I'm like, oh. "Oh." And then I went back. Oh, we can't fly it today because it's rainy. I'm like, Okay, (laughs) so you you have all these things that get in the way, but that doesn't mean that we won't... We we were the first company to be authorized by the FAA, so we have our own drone airline. So we're going to stay on uh, with the development there because that will all change. Uh, We are taking our first delivery of battery-powered aircraft in 2024. These are electric uh, vertical takeoff landing aircraft, all powered by batteries. They carry cargo, 1,400 pounds. That's cool. Yes, I'm very excited. I'm more actually more excited about the battery-powered aircraft than the actual drone, because I think we can move more.
0: You've given us a lot to look forward to, Carol. What a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us Pleasure. Pleasure. Next. Pleasure.
2: Thank you. you. Take care.
0: Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media.